Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Well, welcome, Carrie, to the Military Wife Life Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. You and your husband have been together for 10 years now. Can you tell me how you guys met? Yeah, so 10 years ago, uh, we met through mutual friends while we were both at uni. And then one thing led to another and we got together and we've been together ever since. When you met, was your husband joining Defence Force or was he already in? What was his situation at that time? So he had already joined the Defence Force. He actually got in via the undergraduate scheme. So when he was studying at uni, university he was already employed and then once he graduated he immediately went to OTS training in eSale. And how long does that training go for and I guess that was your introduction to defence life really? Yeah so that was kind of our first test in our relationship for him being away for that period of time but I guess being fairly young we were only like in our early 20s it went by quite quickly I was still studying at uni so I had something to distract myself with. And when you met at the party with mutual friends were that crowd sort of doing similar degrees and were they sort of like a defense crowd or was it a mix of people no not defense at all um nathan was the only person who i knew through defense i guess it was sort of like a slow introduction because he was doing uni it wasn't like when you met him he was away or yeah yeah definitely which i guess that was a easier way for me to to start as a defense partner because with his focus on uni he wasn't really away that much except for the OTS training and then I guess once he graduated from there he got posted up to new uh, Newcastle so that was the first challenge I guess being away and living in different cities. Okay. And when you first learned that he was going to go into a job in Defence Force did you yes. t- have any sort of idea what you might be getting into with moving and where you might be posted for his job? Not really at the start we were I guess focused on graduating from uni at that stage yeah we didn't really think of everything else that comes with defense life that didn't really hit us until I think we lived apart and then I guess the consideration was for me to move up to live with him after a year of being away and were you happy to move or was that exciting for you or were you a bit hesitant about doing that because I was still living in my family home I was I guess a bit excited a bit scared Um, it was my first I guess real proper relationship living with someone else so yeah, it, it was exciting though to move to a different city with Nathan. And did you have any expectations of what you were thinking defence life would be like in the early stages before you knew what it was actually like? I really didn't have any idea. <laughs> I didn't have anyone to kind of ask about what defence life would be, what that would entail. It was mostly just through learning as we went, learning what to do, what the lingo was or the acronyms Nathan would kind of bring back from work. That was how I kind of learned. And so what is Nathan's actual job and does that take him away a bit? So Nathan's a armament engineer in the Air Force. He has been away for some exercises and deployments in previous postings, but I guess overall he's mostly been at home, which is quite lucky for me. After you were in Newcastle, everything was going well and um, life was pretty good. But then your husband had a stroke at the age of 29. Can you talk us through the day that that happened? So that was 
was uh, when he was posted in Adelaide. So we were in Adelaide living there. Everything seemed fine. On that day that he had his stroke, it was in May 2017. I was at home. I was just doing some housework around the house. Uh, I was playing with our cat, Nico, who we had recently adopted just a month prior to Nathan's injury. And then I suddenly got a message from Nathan saying that he was going to the hospital because he'd been injured. I had no idea what had happened. Um, I called him. He gave me just a quick summary that he'd been hit on the head by some heavy equipment, but he was doing okay. He sounded fine over the phone. And then he told me that he was being taken to the hospital for a checkup. I immediately found out what hospital he was going to, drove there and met him. And he wasn't doing as well as I thought. He had a um, lacerated ear, uh, which needed to be stitched up. So he was waiting to see the doctor. While he was in the waiting room, he actually had some uh, stroke symptoms that he experienced. So he had a bit of um, slurred speech and um, left side weakness, which we informed the nurse about, but they resolved quite quickly, like within 15 minutes. So once he saw the doctor, once he was called in to be stitched up, they did a neurological um, examination on him and he was fine. Yep, they stitched up his ear, he was given a script and, and paperwork and then discharged home. And then, sorry. Is this at um, the hospital on base or where? Had he no, been? no, no. It was just a local hospital that was close to base. That's where he got seen initially. And then they discharged him home. He was, he seemed fine at the time. The only thing that I guess we noticed was the, the stroke symptoms that appeared while he was in the waiting room. But yeah, as I mentioned that they went away within about 15 minutes. So were the doctors happy as in if they were thinking it was a stroke that it wouldn't have resolved itself in 15 minutes? Like it would have continued like were you fairly confident when you were leaving the hospital that everything was going to be okay we were confident I guess because the doctors didn't seem that fast about it I'm not sure what they were thinking at the time whether they did think it was a stroke or whether they thought it was nothing serious yeah so that's that's something that I guess plays on my mind quite a bit but yeah so I guess later that night when we got home we had dinner we showered everything seemed normal we went to bed but then I woke at about one-ish and Nathan was just he was thrashing about in the bed he was it was so surreal to be lying next to him um experiencing that after we had been told that everything was fine and he was yeah so he was rolling around he was quite unresponsive and then just suddenly stopped and then I turned the light on and in my gut I, I just knew that something was wrong as he came to, he wasn't moving his left side at all. It looked like that yeah, he was fully paralysed on his left side. Um, but he thought that he was fine. He thought yeah. that he could actually stand off and um, and that he, he had no idea what was happening to him. But I knew that there was something wrong. And so the uh, ambulance was called. They came to our house. They assessed him. They brought him into the ambulance. I hopped in into the front seat and had a chat to the uh, to the ambos and they were trying to explain that yep he had actually had a stroke 
and they were hoping to bring him to the hospital in time to get thrombolysis, which is a clot retrieval medication. It's a very short window, I believe, like four, around four hours. But however, Nathan obviously wasn't in that window. So when he was brought to the hospital, he was brought to a different hospital. It was the major one in town. He was taken immediately uh, for a CT scan and they made me wait outside while they were doing that. And then once they had all the uh, reports done, they brought me in and then they informed me that he had had a major stroke due to a traumatic corroded artery dissection. So obviously when the heavy equipment hit him, it hit the side of his neck, which caused a blood clot to uh, go up to his brain, leading to the stroke. And then they told me that it would leave him with permanent disabilities and that he was too late for the medication. And I just, I didn't know what to do at that time because Nathan wasn't responding and I just burst out in tears. And how long had you been in that local? Like obviously your family and friends are in Sydney. Who do you even... The person that you would usually call when something major happens like that would be Nathan. So, yes, exactly. And this was um, at two o'clock in the morning as well. <laughs> yeah. So I was. I had no idea what to do. I. I actually. Well, I did call um, his boss at the time that he was being taken to the ambulance just because of what had happened that day. And so he was aware of it. He was, I guess, behind the scenes taking care of everything on the Air Force side of things. But for that morning, I was alone. And what, yeah. I mean, what what even is your first step at that stage other than falling in a heap, I guess? Or do you just yeah. go on to autopilot? Uh, a bit of both. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I, when I heard the news, I, I just burst out in tears, but I didn't have anyone to turn to. I, Nathan wasn't there for me at the time. So I, I had to step up essentially. And I, I guess I just had to wait. I had to wait until the morning time. I obviously didn't sleep. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was pacing around the hospital waiting for news, waiting to see if Nathan's would improve at all. But yeah, so just had to just had to wait for the doctors to come in in the morning to see what they thought would be best for Nathan, which unfortunately um, in the morning his condition worsened and he was required to go in for surgery. So before that happened in the early hours when he was in the hospital bed and you've just been told what was he even able to talk or respond to you? Like what was the communication between you guys before he went in for that surgery? He was pretty out of it. He could say a couple words, but he wasn't really responsive. So I, I think I just wanted to let him rest because I guess of what he had gone through. And when they mm. wanted to take him for surgery, was that a case of we'll take him for surgery and this is what we're going to fix? Or was it a case of we're not sure what's going to happen in the operating theatre? Because Nathan's condition worsened in the morning, they said that he needed to go for surgery to relieve pressure of his brain because it was swelling. Once they took him in for surgery while he was in there, what were you doing? Were you calling family? Did you have any friends Um, in the area to come and support you? What was happening? I guess prior to Nathan going for surgery, his boss actually came and visited us in the hospital just to see how we were going and getting an update. And he stayed around, which was great. He called Nathan's uh, workmate and his partner to come 
and help us. Um, so once Nathan got brought into surgery, I got picked up by a friend and she brought me back to her house just so I was out of the hospital. I wasn't in that sort of environment by myself. So that was a great help to have her supporting me at that time. At that time as well, my parents and his parents were flying over from Sydney. I'd obviously gotten in contact with them in the morning and they booked the first flight over, but they obviously wouldn't arrive until uh, 10-ish, which was, yeah, after the surgery had happened. And when they arrived at the hospital, was it just relief, I guess, to have some familiar faces and you felt like there's nothing like having family? Definitely. Um, Yeah, just to see my parents, I felt a sense of relief because I realised that, no, I wasn't in this alone. But obviously I didn't have Nathan there for that support, so I had to to get it from somewhere else. Once he came out of surgery, did they have much more information or was it more of a wait-and-see sort of thing? What was the process? It was definitely a wait-and-see sort of thing. Um, He was put in a coma for a few days just so they could um, stabilise him. What were they telling you that the typical case of someone who's had a stroke like he had um, what the prognosis is with a typical case or is it really individual? It's quite individual but because of Nathan's because it was quite severe it was quite a touch and go early on they were saying that he would have permanent disabilities that he might not walk and that he probably wouldn't get any movement back in his upper limb. Sorry, my cat's here. Nika. I heard her. Yeah, they also mentioned that if he hadn't had the surgery, that he probably wouldn't have made it as well. So I guess hearing all these things from the doctor that early on, while Nathan was in a coma, that was quite scary as well. And I guess you've both had your own separate experiences with what you've gone through, but how do you get through seeing him that night? Obviously, when you woke up, when he had the stroke and he was thrashing around and you had to call the ambulance and going to hospital and him being out of it how do you work through seeing him like that how do you cope with that it's yeah it's been we've gone through different experiences he's had it quite tough Uh, we've we've both had it quite tough to be honest I have been seeing a counsellor through open arms which has been great I've been able to talk to someone about my own experience and the feelings of I guess anger grief anxiety that I'm going through following witnessing Nathan's stroke yeah so just yeah learning to process that for myself has been a journey it's going to go on for the rest of our lives Nathan's stroke has impacted us in uh, more ways than one so it's just learning to cope and adapt to the new normal I guess yeah 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 that's true so once they brought him out of the coma what sort of happened with I guess seeing what he was able to do and what his outcomes were going to be for the near future after that how long did he stay in hospital once he was out of the coma there was a lot of assessments that he underwent a lot of time spent in the hospital he was quite fatigued early on so he was just sleeping a lot um, which is understandable he needed to see various therapists so from physios occupational therapists speech pathologists dietitians as well as all the other specialists including like the neurosurgeons uh, neurologists we've gone through everything essentially 
he spent, so I think I mentioned a few days in a coma and then he was brought to the stroke ward where he spent a few weeks there and then he was discharged from the stroke ward and brought to a rehab hospital where they kept him for about five months and that was where they provided, I guess, 24-7 nursing care as well as intense therapy training for him to learn everything again essentially learn to walk learn to eat learn to be himself that was five months and then he was discharged just before his birthday in November and then he was an outpatient at the rehab hospital so he was allowed to stay at home and just come in for uh, rehab five days a week I mean it's obviously a long process during that time did your parents or his parents were they able to stay that whole time and who was looking after you did the defense community step up and help you out like who had your back obviously you were, <laughs> you were looking out for nathan's during that time yeah who was making sure that you were okay have you heard about our lots of love care packages an anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day it's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. So very early on, we had family fly over. And so I wasn't alone for the first couple months. I always had someone with me. They had like a, a schedule to make sure that I wasn't alone. So that was really great. And then once we settled into a routine, so Nathan was in the rehab hospital, we had visitors come in from Sydney every so often, but I it was mostly just me looking after Nathan. I had support from his unit so his unit in Adelaide were very helpful and very supportive from day one especially his boss they would check up on me they would come in and see Nathan in the hospital yeah so their support alongside my family and and friends is I guess what has helped me early on during Nathan's recovery stage I mean at the time where were you working and I guess you don't just okay well now he's in rehab and he's doing well you don't just go okay well I'm back to work and normal like what what was (laughs) going on with the rest of your lives (laughs) prior to Nathan's injury I was working at a pet store as well as uh, at an animal shelter and you only had one cat at that stage yes 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 just the one (laughs) wow you restricted yourself So with, uh, yeah, as soon as Nathan's injury happened, I had to let them know what was happening. They were very understanding. I wasn't sure what would be happening at the time because I don't think we knew how severe Nathan's injury was. So I was just updating them as he recovered. But with his admission to the rehab hospital and my role I think began to change from wife to carer so I knew then that no I couldn't return to work I had to become a full-time carer and take care of him. And so how do you come to terms with going from wife to carer? It's been hard because I have not been trained as 
as how to be a carer. I don't know how to care for someone. I've been learning as as I go. I've been learning Nathan's time spent at the rehab hospital. I've been assisting the nurses, trying to learn as I go. It's been quite difficult juggling the two roles as a wife and as a carer. Sometimes it's hard to put on the, the wife hat after being a carer. So I'm still learning. Everything's a learning process. And how does Nathan go from being obviously a husband to being the one being cared for, I guess? Yeah, I think he's learning as well because he's spent so much of his time in hospital recovering. At the start, you're just focused on him recovering and getting as well as he can. At what stage did you sort of start thinking what's going to happen to his career and will he ever go back to work? Like what were you thinking in regards to him staying in the Air Force and was there any discussions around that with his boss? When did that sort of come into play? His work had been very supportive, so they understand the situation. They understand that Nathan's focus is on recovery and rehab and with his recovery he has been I guess fortunate to start planning for I guess future goals so he has been able to return to work. At the beginning it was just doing online admin tasks and then that evolved into going in once a week and then now he's at the stage where he's going in three times a week so it's just a gradual process but they've been quite supportive. And how has he been feeling about being able to get back to work? I guess that's a little bit of what life used to be like so it's a bit of I guess, normal Mm. life back for him. Yep, that's true. Um, So one of his goals early on was return to work, which he's in the process of doing that. To him, it's a sense of normality because it is that's what he knows, that's what he's used to. Also the social aspect, going in, having coffee, chatting to your workmates, that's something that he couldn't do for a year or two. So that sense of normality, I think, is what we what we both crave. When they gave you a prognosis early on, what was the prognosis and what's the reality in regards to him kicking goals that they didn't think he would? Uh, so the prognosis early on was that he wouldn't regain movement back in his arm and that he would it would be unlikely that he could walk again however I guess after rehab and after all the effort and and determination that he's he's put in to his uh, recovery he's proved them wrong he's walking although it's with a walking aid at the moment but he hopes to be able to ditch it soon (laughs) Um, (laughs) he's regained movement back in his arm and his fingers it is a slow gradual process but but it is happening and it's all because of his efforts. And I guess your support. Yeah, yeah, but um, he's a fighter, definitely. And so was there a time during his rehab and when he was going to all the different appointments that you just suddenly saw that you were turning a corner or that you just felt a little bit lighter seeing him do something in particular, thinking, okay, there's my Nathan, it's going to be okay because he did this and we didn't think he would being with Nathan I guess 24 7 during his recovery period it was hard to see improvements because I'm with him all the time that's why I guess I started documenting okay this is one goal achieved this is the next goal achieved and I I wrote that down on an achievement board just so we could keep track of what was happening because everything was so crazy at the time and seeing him achieve these goals whether it was a small one like being able to eat a burger (laughs) or um, walking 50 metres. All these goals added up and it gave us both hope that he would recover. At the moment, what is 
your husband's treatment like on a weekly basis, obviously compared to the initial treatment? Like what is a week sort of like for you guys now? Yeah, so um, initially he was doing five days a week of rehab and that was quite intense. But now he's doing three days of work and then the other two days are formal rehab therapy. He does do therapy at home, but that's not to the same scale as what was, I guess, initially like two years ago. And so do you feel like you've maybe got a little bit of your life back as well? Yeah, we're learning how to live again, I think, because our lives have been very rehab focused. So we're learning to allow ourselves to go out for dinner dates. We're allowing ourselves to go out for lunch. Yeah, I've seen you guys on Instagram. You're you're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) We're slowly like allowing ourselves, okay, we can have a day off of rehab. We can sleep in. We can do this. We can do that. Yeah, we're trying to get back into normality. He's relearned how to be independent again. So he doesn't need me there 24-7, which is great. But just relearning how to yeah live again as husband and wife, that's still something that we're learning to do. You have now moved to Canberra. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, so we were in Adelaide during Nathan's injury and rehab. We had the support there that we needed at the time. However, I think things were changing between us and with his rehab and we needed, I guess, support from family and friends which were in Sydney. So Air Force have been very supportive of Nathan during this recovery stage and we were were given the opportunity to find another posting. So we got posted to Canberra, which worked out in terms of the location is closer to Sydney, as well as Nathan's job prospects it was better for Nathan there. Yeah, Air Force have been quite supportive with the move and and the rehab team as well. Do you get involved with any of the spouse groups or defence groups or any of the events? I've tried to involve myself with some of the external veteran communities. So I've attended a few events of uh, Soldier On. They've got a Wellness Wednesday program where they do a few walks around Canberra. So that's been good to, I guess, one, get some exercise and two, meet new people (laughs) yeah hopefully I can get more involved with other groups as well so Nathan will stay in the Air Force I guess Nathan's focused on rehab and the Air Force have been quite supportive with that we'll just have to I guess see how much he recovers and then go from there I guess you've been Nathan's carer for the last couple of years have you had a chance to sort of step back and breathe and think okay well this is what I want to be doing in the next couple of years I'm slowly starting to I guess see what's out there for me. There's no real rush, but I know that with Nathan's independence and his return to work, he won't need me as a full-time carer, which is great. But yeah, it's, I guess, just figuring out what's out there for me. I've still got time. So your cat has obviously been with you from just before Nathan had the stroke. How's the cat been going? Is it more friendly with Nathan or with you? <laughs> which which one does it give the support to? Definitely me. I'm the crazy cat lady. <laughs> 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 so have you still He's only got one? Yeah, just got one. He's um a very spoiled little boy. I think of him as my emotional support animal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> he obviously came into your life at the right time. He did. He did. He was the one that I went back to after being in the hospital for yeah. 12 hours. So he was my baby. And this week you guys have been doing some pretty awesome stuff for National Stroke Week, which obviously by the time this episode goes to air, it'll have been a little while ago. But can you tell me what you guys have been doing and why you decided to do that? With National Stroke Week, Nathan decided to raise awareness for stroke and brain injury in young adults by climbing five mountains in Canberra. So we've done three mountains so far, got two more to go and been overwhelmed with the support of Air Force, Defence communities and I guess the local community in general. So he's been raising awareness as well as fundraising for the Brandon Foundation as well as the Stroke Foundation, hoping to raise money for stroke research. Yeah, and you guys hit your goal today, I think? Yeah, we just hit our goal, which was, yeah, amazing as I said, we're overwhelmed with the support. That's awesome. And did you even think that you'd be doing something like this? No, I didn't think that Nathan would be climbing mountains <laughs> two years later after a stroke. So um, we're taking each day as it comes. Obviously, now that everything's sort of settled and everything's into sort of as normal routine as you can have at the moment, when you sort of sit back, what are you doing for yourself to, I guess, have something outside of being a carer and outside of rehab and appointments and things like that? Like mental health wise, what are you doing for yourself? Mental health wise, I'm still seeing a counsellor through Open Arms, which that's been great. Just need someone else to talk to. And then I guess doing things for myself, that's been a slow progress because I've been so focused on Nathan, but I didn't want to get care of burnout, which I think I was slowly getting. I guess I forced myself to go get a massage. (laughs) I forced myself to go out for and do some shopping, like just window shopping. It was, yeah, trying to find that time for myself, which I didn't allow early on, but now I'm 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 realizing, hey, no, I need I still need some me time. What have you learned about yourself during this whole process? I guess you never expect at that age to be going through something like that and one day everything is going one way and then the next day everything is completely changed. Looking back, I think I am stronger than I give myself credit for and I have learnt to be adaptable, I think, to any situation because with the stroke or with the surgeries or I guess anything that's popped up, I've had to adapt and not be as emotional (laughs) because I've had to just rely on myself I guess throughout this journey well until Nathan I guess was able to support me too. And what have you learned about Nathan during this whole process? I always knew that he was a very strong and determined person that's I guess one of the reasons why I married him. (laughs) He never gives up And if he has a goal in mind, he will do anything to get there. And I've seen him achieve that every day that I've been with him. And he's achieved a lot over the past couple of years. And I know that he'll he'll continue to smash goals as recovery happens. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kerry. I just find you so, there's not even enough words, inspiring, (laughs) strong, Obviously, you said adaptable. Like, I mean, if you thought you were resilient before being a defense spouse, you are like a thousand times percent even more. Yeah, I just can't say enough about, I mean, even the fact that when I first was in contact with you, you're like, I don't really have a story to tell. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, you do. (laughs) You have a story to tell. Like you are just silently in the background, just doing what you have to do, supporting your husband. And yeah, yeah, you were just amazing. Anyone, I think, in my position, I think would do the same for a loved one as well I think 
I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 